as a kid, I was a, I was a curious kid. And so I loved getting to hang out with my grandparents. There were times where I would get to, we'd go by their house. They lived uh, pretty close. The grandparents on my, my mom's side lived pretty close to us. And so, you know, we would drive by to our house past theirs and sometimes we'd stop in. And every once in a while, you know, I would catch them. I mean, they were always pretty busy, it seemed like, but sometimes it seemed like you could just sit down with them and have the opportunity to kind of pick their brain. And so I would ask questions like, you know, what was it like to live through the, the Great Depression or, or what was it like to serve in World War II or, or what was it like? Where were you? Do you remember where you were when a man landed on the moon? And so I was always kind of a, a curious kid. And every once in a while, if I had the opportunity, I would ask my grandfather in particular, I would say, can you, can you tell me about our ancestors? Can you tell me about our family tree? Like, who, what were they like and that sort of thing? Now, he would always tell me that we came from a bunch of train robbers. <laughs> and my grandfather was a little bit of a prankster, so I never really knew if he was, you know, telling me the truth. I, I've always heard this, and so I decided to do a little digging of my own. And, uh, well, I found this story of my kin, of, of a man named Clem Wackerly. Um, and so I found this, this quote. I, I dug up some, some newspaper articles from the Arkansas Gazette. So this quote that I'm going to read for you, it's, it's from uh, the Arkansas Gazette. It's November 8th. It's uh, 1893. Clem is a country youth about 19 years of age and rather handsome. I did not put that in there. I promise you I did not make that up. I just found this this past week, and I thought, oh, this is, this is hilarious. And by the way, I went to a party last night, and somebody, given the, the name tags, they said, why don't you just write Travis the Handsome on it? <laughs> if you don't know why we're laughing, just go back and watch last week's message. It'll make more sense then. But I did not put this in there, and rather handsome, and was recently, okay, convicted of a minor offense and placed in the county jail. Yeah. So I had to do some more digging, obviously. Like, I got to find out more about this. And so I did. And apparently, um, apparently my grandfather was telling me the truth. If you dig deep enough into my family tree, you are going to find a gunslinging, train-robbing, to dimension handsome, a leader of a gang. This is back in the late 1800s. I had no idea. So I keep digging through the, the Arkansas Gazette because the whole story's there. And so apparently they, they put a posse together and they chase after Clem and his gang. And, and, and there's, a, there's a big shootout and, and uh, uh, people get killed, but like he gets away. And the next thing that I could find was like in 1912, Clem is shot and killed playing cards. My grandfather was telling me the, the truth. It was wild, wild west, and apparently I had some wild ancestors. But that's okay, because Jesus did too. In fact, Matthew, when he writes and he, when he opens his gospel, Matthew chapter 1, he makes sure that we know Jesus has some wild ancestors too. 
He, he's making the list and he could have put anyone in the list or there were names he did not have to include. He could have written them out or at least left them out. But he goes above and beyond to put certain people's names in this list, reminding us that Jesus comes from some colorful characters. Okay, this is the lineage of Jesus Christ going all the way back to Abraham. We would expect to see uh, the religious elite, right? Those who Jesus came from. We We would expect to see royalty. We would expect to see very pious people, at least pure bloodlines. Yet instead of all that, Matthew goes out of his way to include certain people's names in this lineage to remind us that Jesus came from broken people, people who had been forgotten, abandoned, people who were disgraced, wounded, hopeless. So here's where we picked up from last week with this list. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Remember Rahab from last week. Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Today, we're going to be talking about Ruth. Ruth was King David's great-grandmother. But she was not exactly who you might expect because she was a Moabite, also known as not an Israelite. This was a big deal. She was, she was a Moabite, and you wouldn't expect to see that. Now, her story is not quite as um, scandalous as Tamar or Rahab, but we would not have expected to see her name in, in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Yet, there she is. Matthew, before he introduces us to the the baby in the manger, for whatever reason, he wants us to recall the story of Ruth. He wants to take our minds to Ruth. So let's go there today. Ruth chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. So we have Elimelech and we have Naomi. Okay, they're they're Israelites, they're Hebrews. They live in Bethlehem of Judah. But famine hits, hard times hit. In fact, we know they were hard times. They had to be severe because why would any Israelite want to cross back across the Jordan River going east around the Dead Sea and then of all places land in Moab? Now we know even from like reading Deuteronomy that the Israelites and the Moabites are not to mix and marry. They, they, don't, they just don't like each other. Israelites don't like Moabites and, and, and vice versa. But they pick up stakes, and they move to Moab of all places. Now, while they're there, Elimelech dies. And then they still have two sons. And Naomi still has two sons. Uh, remember their names? Malon and, and Kilion. Malon means uh, weakling or sickly person. And uh, Kilion means 
frail person. I don't know who named these guys, but I just got to think, why? Anyway, that's, this is a bit of foreshadowing because they die too. So now Elimelech is dead and the two sons, some 10 years had passed and now the two sons are dead as well. Now, they leave behind their mother Naomi and two Moabite wives. They had married two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Now, this, this leaves all of them in a, a bit of a pickle. I mean, this is big time trouble for them because now Naomi has lost her husband and she's lost her two sons. And she is a foreigner in the land of Moab. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about leveret marriage customs. All that is, is, is basically when... Um, when a woman would lose her husband, then the, the property that they owned, it would, it would get, um, there would be a transaction where that property would then go to like a next of kin. Sometimes that was a brother or some close male relative. And a lot of times they would marry the woman so that she would have provisions, so that she would, and this culture would be protected. Well, Naomi has none of that in Moab. And so she does the only thing that she knows to do. She has to, to pick up. She hears that there is food once again in Israel. And so these years later, she picks up and she heads back to Bethlehem. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. So, the, the, the two women, Orpah and Ruth, they want to go back to Bethlehem. Uh, out of loyalty to Naomi, they, they want to go back with her, but Naomi will have none of it. She doesn't want to hear it. She knows that these, these women have really no future in Israel. They would be the foreigners there, right? And so at least if they just stayed where they were, if they just stayed home, they could uh, possibly have an arranged marriage there in, in Moab and they would have a new life. And, at least they would have some kind of life. And so she told them, you just need to stay where you are. Now, Orpah, she takes Naomi's advice and she stays in Moab. But Ruth is so loyal to Naomi. Here's her response. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Isn't that just amazing loyalty? I mean, what she's saying is I'm willing to give up everything I've ever known. I'm willing to give up my home to be loyal to you and loyal to the one true God. And so the two women set out on a 40 mile journey back to Bethlehem, back north around the Dead Sea, across the Jordan River to Bethlehem. And don't you know that was a lonely journey? Such tragedy, losing your husband and losing your two sons, not having any property, making that journey with no, no love, no protection, no provision. And yet there they find themselves on the road back to Bethlehem. 
you know, I wonder if, if maybe some of you kind of find yourself on that same road, road today. The road where Naomi obviously had questions like, why God? She had served God. Why had this happened? Why God? Where is God in all of this? She likely had a lot of questions and maybe today you do too. You find yourself on that road. In fact, Naomi, she didn't even want to be called Naomi anymore. Her name means pleasant. But here's what she said. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Oh, she was bitter. This road, this lot in life had left her very bitter, bitter at life, bitter at God, just bitter in general to the point that she says, let's go to that next. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Oh, you can hear it in her voice. She's, she's depressed. She's lonely. She is, um, well, she's hopeless. What she needs is what scripture refers to as a kinsman redeemer or some versions say guardian redeemer. That would be that closest male relative that could then provide some kind of protection, maybe marriage, but um, protection and provision. And, that, and that's what she needed. But where is she going to find someone like that? And so Ruth they get back to Bethlehem and Ruth does the only thing that she really knows how to do. And that is wake up every morning and put one foot in front of the other. She takes responsibility for her future. And here's what she does. And Ruth, the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Does anyone recall that name, Boaz? Well, sure, from Matthew chapter one. As it turns out, I, I love that, don't you? As it turned out. You're gonna notice that there's a lot of as it turned out in this story, but we know there's no chance involved. This is the providential hand of a good God, a loving God who sees the need of these two women. And so for whatever reason, as it turns out, she ends up in the field with Boaz. And as it turns out, he takes notice of her and not only notice of her, he, he takes action. He takes care of her. He, he simply tells her, hey, here, here are the women, work with the women. He goes and he tells the men, stay away from Ruth. That's helpful. And then he gives her water and he gives her food and he gives her provision, almost to the point that Ruth is almost confused, right? Like, remember who he is. Remember who she is. He is an Israelite. She is a Moabite. She's a little confused. Like, why are you even paying attention to me. I don't know if Ruth was pretty. I don't know. Uh, she was obviously a hard worker. 
But it did make a lot of sense that an Israelite would be showing such kindness to someone from outside. In fact, here's what she says. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? It just doesn't add up. In this culture, it didn't make a lot of sense. So she goes back to Naomi and tells her like everything that's going on. Well, as Naomi is listening to Ruth talk and she finds out that it's actually the field of Boaz that Ruth is in and she's telling him about Boaz and well, Naomi has a little bit of a surprise for Ruth. Look at this. That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Whoa, as it turns out, not only did you end up in the field of somebody who would take care of you, you ended up in the field of someone who could take care of us for the rest of our lives. As it turns out, it's almost like Naomi, remember Naomi, depressed. She's, she's hopeless. She is, she's given up hope. She's like, I don't even want you to call me by my name. Just call me bitter. She can't even begin to imagine better at this point in her life. Yet now we see a different Naomi. It's almost like, it's almost like hope is just starting to well up within her to the point that it just, it just starts to overflow. It, it springs up within her and she starts springing into action. She has a plan. So she tells, she tells Ruth, like, here's what you need to do. You need to get cleaned up. You need, to, uh, you need to change your clothes because she'd been wearing certain clothes that signified that she was mourning for her husband. So you need to change out of those clothes. You need to get cleaned up and you need to go down to the threshing floor and then here's what she tells her to do. Here's the plan. When he lies down, this is Boaz, when he lies down, note the place where he is. Can anyone say stalker? Note the place where he is. Then, if, if that wasn't weird, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I love this part of the story because the scripture, the very next thing that it says is Ruth says, whatever you say, I will do. I have to think it, there might have been a sentence or two before that point. Maybe something that just got left out. I don't know. Something like, <clears throat> okay, Naomi, let me get this straight. So here's what you, here's what you want me to do. You want me to stop mourning for my husband. You want me to, to put on some new clothes. You want me to get cleaned up. You want me to go down to the threshing floor in the middle of the night. By the way, prostitutes do that all the time. They go down on the threshing floor too. So I could easily be understood. But you want me to go down there in the middle of the night. And, and on top of that, you want me to find where he sleeps and un, uncover his feet and then just lay down by him. Yep, that's the plan, Naomi says. And, and I have to think that there would have, because Naomi knows the Israelite customs and Ruth knows that she knows and Ruth trusts her. So she gets to the point. Maybe it didn't take long, but she says, whatever, whatever you say, I will do. And so she does. 
very discreetly, by the way, because she doesn't want to be caught by someone else and be misunderstood as a, as a prostitute or someone who is, you know, up to no good or whatever. So, so very discreetly, she goes down to the threshing floor and she uncovers his feet. And then this happens. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. I wonder what startled the man. She just uncovered his feet. <laughs> and so this wakes him up, right? Like that would wake me up. I don't know. Uh, he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who I know, right? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I would have said. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Whoa. Okay, here's what she just did. She just woke a guy up in the middle of the night and proposed marriage to him. (laughs) And then on top of that, she drops the bombshell. You are our guardian redeemer. You are the closest male relative. You, you are the one that can, can give us protection. You can give us provision. I mean, she's basically just standing. She's, here's what she says to him. She says, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy. <laughs> asking him to love her. Okay, I'm just kidding. That's not exactly what the, what the text says. This is scripture, not Notting Hill. But what, what's actually being said here, it's, it's pretty amazing. What's actually happening? She's asking him, cover me with your garment. Now, there's, some, there's, a, there's a play on words here. This garment and being covered with the garment. It brings up the imagery of wings, but not just any wings, but the wings of Yahweh that would cover and protect his people. In fact, this time of year, we sing the song, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You guys know that song? Uh, what, what does it say? The, uh, hail the son of uh, son, S-U-N, hail the son of righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his what? Wings. You see, throughout scripture, we, we see this. Even Jesus in, uh, in, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, would I that I would, have co- I would have covered you, I would have protected you with my wings. What she is asking Boaz to do, she's saying, Boaz, would you protect me the way that Yahweh protects his people? She appeals to his godliness. And before you know it, she's posting the Instagram hashtag, he said yes, (laughs) because he, he does. He says yes to being their guardian redeemer. You see, what started out as a story of bitterness, tragedy, sorrow, has now become what was a bitter beginning is now a better ending than we could ever imagine. Naomi has a home. Ruth, she has a husband. And one day Ruth would give birth to Obed. 
And Obed would grow to become a man and one day he would have Jesse. Jesse would grow to become a man and he would have a young boy who would become a shepherd boy, David, who would become King David, who generations later would give birth to our guardian redeemer, the son of man, Jesus Christ. You see, we needed a guardian redeemer just like Ruth. Ruth is, and Naomi, that, that's us. We were the foreigners. We were the outsiders. We were outside looking in. We were, th- were without hope. In fact, the apostle Paul says it like this. Look at this. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, oh, I love those two words, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Boaz saw Ruth Christ sees you too. In fact, Boaz saw Ruth and and sacrificed so that he could meet her needs. But Christ, on the cross, sacrificed everything. He, He gave up every blessing in heaven to come to this earth and to sacrifice his life on a cross so that he could give us everything that we need. We needed a kinsman redeemer. We needed that guardian redeemer. And Christ provided that. In fact, look at this. For you have given him, this is John 17, for you have given him, Jesus, all authority over all humanity so that he might give eternal life to all those you gave him. We were the outsiders. Yet God invited us into his family He gave us a seat at the table. Every nation, every tongue, every tribe has a seat at his table. This is an amazing thing that because of Jesus Christ that we have a place in God's family. The truth of that, the love of God placed in our hearts because of what Jesus did. The hope that we have. The Hebrew writer says it like this. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Because I'm wondering if right now, if somebody has been on the outside looking in, I'm wondering if somebody is just now for the first time maybe hearing about this hope of Jesus Christ. And I'm wondering if there's somebody realizing for the first time that you've got a seat at the table. Or maybe it's 
Maybe it's someone in your family that's on the outside looking in and you pray for them and, and you pray that they would know that they too have a seat at the table, that they too can be part of God's family. Or maybe it's someone where you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play. And you wanna to see to it that no one misses out on the grace of God. But where do we start? Well, I wanna give you just two practical suggestions. The first thing is talk to God. Talk to God. If you've never received that hope before, talk to him, confess to him your sin, confess to him your hopelessness, and then receive the hope through Jesus Christ that he is offering to you. But maybe you've already received that hope. Maybe what you wanna do is just spend some time thanking him for it. I'm talking about thanking him, just recognizing that you were once an outsider, you were a foreigner and that he's invited you into his family. Thank him so much that you can't help but just fill up with gratitude to the point that you're just overflowing with it. When that happens, you know you're ready for the second step. And the second step is to invite somebody into that hope. Here's something really practical this week. I wanna encourage you to invite somebody to our Christmas Eve services this Friday, December 24th. We have three services, one, 2.30 and four. Everybody say that with me, one, 2.30 and four. Christmas Eve services, you have an opportunity to invite somebody. When the Spirit puts somebody on your heart, maybe it is where you live, work, learn, and play. Maybe it's right in your home. Maybe in your home you're saying, guys, this Friday, we're prioritizing worship. We are going to worship Christ the King. Uh, say it however you want to, but we're going to be there together as a family. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe there's somebody that the Holy Spirit puts on your heart and you want to invite them. I don't know if, uh, if you've downloaded the app. I know many of you already have. If you haven't, you, you want to download our Oak Hills app. It's, I've told you before, it's got everything on it. But specifically, at the very top, when you open the app, it's going to have our Oak Hills service times for our Christmas Eve services. You can hit one button, and there's a share button there. And when you hit that share button, it pulls up your email, pulls up your, your you can text or email anybody that, that graphic so you can share digitally. It's really easy. So just in that moment, in fact, you might want to do that right now. Hey, the Holy Spirit's putting someone on your heart right now. Don't let me bother you. Just go for it and just invite somebody. You know, I get so excited this time of year when we sing things like joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her King. Listen, I, I'm believing that somebody during our Christmas Eve services, whether they're worshiping online or in person, they're gonna receive their King for the first time, for the first time. Somebody's gonna recommit their lives to their king. I recently read a, a survey. It said that 82% of people uh, would say, uh, yes, would go to church if invited by a trusted friend. 82%, that's pretty high. But then in that same survey, it said that only 2% of Christians said that they'd invited anyone in the past year. That's pretty low. Now, I know the percentage would be much higher here at Oak Hills Church. But if that's convicting to you as it is to me, 
let's do something about it. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Matthew saw to it that we didn't miss Ruth's story. Don't you just love this story? Here's what I love about the story. Ruth had a part in bringing Christ, the hope of humanity into the world. You can too. You can too.